Well, good morning. I would invite you to return back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. A couple of things just to share with you before we jump into Acts. First of all, kids, I'm loving the pictures. If you're drawing pictures during the service, please bring them up to me. I'll be right here afterwards. And uh, we're working on trying to get them up on the screen. So we got a little bit of a project to do to get them up there. But we'll get them up there so we can see them before the service. But please bring me your pictures. If this is your first Sunday and you've got kids here, um, if there are things in the story, I'd love for them to draw pictures and give them to me. And, and uh, I'm, I'm loving them. So you guys are some great artists and some incredible creativity. So really, really excited about what you guys are doing here. Second, you probably noticed, and it's been announced a few times, I think, there is a, uh, a, a ladies' retreat coming up. And, uh, and that is coming up in November, right? And I just want to make sure that, you, that you women, you know about this, that you sign up. The topic of it is going to be finding your identity in Christ, which I can't think of any better topic than that. And so for all of us believers, but uh, this is an incredible opportunity for you. And so uh, it's November 7th and 8th. It's going to be in Naperville. We're going to be at the Chicago Marriott there in Naperville. The registration is in the back. Sherry will be back there, and uh, Julie will be back there to answer questions about it. But uh, really, seriously, you should go. And uh, husbands, if your wife hasn't signed up just and you have kids, just say, listen, I would love to watch the kids for you. So go, okay? So <clears throat> make sure that that happens because what an exciting time. So that's back there. And... Uh, Sherry and Julie will be back there to answer questions for you after the service. But, but before we begin here, would you just join me as I open our time in prayer? <coughs> Father, thank you for the privilege we have of, of being under your word now. I thank you for the reminder of these songs. and These songs have just reminded us of the power and the glory of Jesus. And uh, God, now help us as we fall under your word to just be transformed by this power. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you that we get to join together. I pray, God, that we would just take a moment and pause and reflect on these great truths of this passage. And I just commit this time to you. I pray that it would be a time of worship for all of us. In Christ's name, amen. Some of you might remember this story. I think I've told it in a few other contexts, but I have a friend who's a pastor, and he travels around the world, does a lot of pastoral training and things like that. And he goes to different countries, and, and uh, some, some countries he goes to are kind of tougher countries and spends a lot of time there. And One particular time, he was going to a country that was a war-torn country. He was going to gather with a bunch of pastors and do some pastor's training with them. And he said he got to the airport in this country, and a driver, a national guy, just he said, somebody from the country will be there to pick you up. He'll have a placard holding your name. When you come out of the airport, just look for the guy. And he found the guy, and they got in the car, and they started driving to the place. And he said, when they got in the car, the guy just took off driving fast. It's just as fast. Now, he'd been to enough countries to know that in a lot of countries, it's more like a video game, you know, when they drive. And, and so, and that this was the case. And they were just zooming back and forth, and, and it was pretty, pretty intense drive. And uh, it says, as they were going along, there were these signs in the road. <clears throat> and the signs were written in a couple of different languages. But one of the languages was English. And uh, so he could read the sign. 
says they're going, you know, he felt like they were going like 100, and, 100 to 110 miles an hour. Uh, he couldn't do the kilometer transfer in his brain, but he said he was just going fast, right? And he says, and he sees this sign, slow down, road ends, you know, at, you know, you know, whatever, 50 kilometers. So they're just, boom, they're driving down. The guy doesn't slow down. Come up to another sign, slow down, road ends, so many kilometers. Zoom, they go past it. So there are several signs, five or six signs, slow down, road ends, zoom, zoom, zoom. And he's thinking, do I tell him? Like, he must know, right? It's his country. So he says he's just, like, putting his seatbelt on tighter, you know? Like, what's going to happen? And then there was a sign basically said that around this curve, the road ends. Boom! They're flying fast. They go around the curve, and the road ended. It was a drop-off. Car flies in the air. You know, rolls, tumble rolls, right? Every, you know, God preserved everybody. No one died. But the car was totaled. And he said after they kind of got their wits about themselves, because the car landed kind of wheels the right way, and, uh, and they had to kind of get themselves out the door, and I mean, just glass everywhere. And they were hurt, but uh, no one had died. He said they got out, and, and they were in the middle of nowhere. There's no other cars because the road ended, right? So there's nothing else there. And, and, uh, and, the, and he's standing there, so he says to the guy, because the guy spoke English, didn't you see all those signs? Yeah, I saw them all. Why didn't you slow down? Well, I can't read. <laughs> this guy couldn't read. He'd never been on that road before. He had no idea where he was going. He just figured he had to go that direction. He's just driving along, figuring he'd run into the place they were going to go. He was just guessing, and he couldn't read. I was thinking about that story because I was thinking about what that story illustrates. I was thinking about the fact that so there's a spiritual principle there. Besides the obvious principle, if you go into a country like that, you might want to ask, A, do you read, and B, do you know where you're going, right? <laughs> but, but apart from that, there's kind of a spiritual principle. I was thinking, many times, especially for us, our life is just flying by fast, isn't it? Something's going on all the time, right? There's always something happening. There's always an agenda. There's always somebody that wants something from you. And you can just kind of fly by in life. And then there's the Word of God. And we can read it, or we can hear a sermon, or maybe we listen to a song, and, and a truth comes to us. And we can easily kind of acknowledge that truth, not think about what it means, and just fly by it. Just drive on fast. And ignore the principles, ignore the truth, ignore the reality that's there. It's very easy to have that happen. It's kind of a common thing that can happen, in fact. And I was thinking about this account today, and I was thinking about this because of what we're looking at in Acts chapter 2. This is a powerful moment. The Spirit of God has come upon uh, the world. 120 believers, disciples, and 12 apostles, plus all the rest of them. Men, women, all in this upper room. And this noise comes from heaven, gets the attention of thousands of people, as we'll see. Literally thousands of people. At bare minimum, 3,000, probably maybe more like five or 7,000, hear this sound, are drawn to this house. They hear these people speaking all the languages of the Roman Empire. And they ask this question. What does this mean? It's like, a, it's like the road. There's a sign in the middle of the road, and they can't read it. 
They don't know what it means. They can't see it. But we've talked about the fact that when the Spirit comes, He empowers the child of God to bear witness to the truth of God. It's one of His roles. He gives you the ability to, to understand God and to be able to communicate it, and that's what this text is about. Peter now is going to, in essence, read the road sign. The road sign's up there on the road. <clears throat> They're looking at it. They don't know what it means. They're asking, what does this noise mean? What does it mean that all you people are speaking all these different languages? What's going on? Peter's going to stand up and in the power of the Spirit explain it to them. He's going to explain to them about the arrival of the Spirit. He's going to explain to them about the work of the Son. He's going to explain to them about the plan of the Father. He's going to explain the Trinity and everything that's happening, what the Father, Son, and Spirit is doing. And the reality is that Peter does not want them to drive by this sign real fast. He wants them to stop and think about this. And I was thinking, that has to be our motive as well. Many of the truths in this are truths you know. Right? I mean, there's, there's nothing in here probably that, 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 that I would expect anybody in this room to go, wow, I just didn't know that. You mean Jesus died on a cross? I just had no idea. Right? There's things like that in there that you could just easily say, oh, I know that sign and, and blow by. But the Psalms sometimes have a little interesting word that I think could apply here. Sometimes in the song you see that word selah, which means pause, reflect on this. I think we need to do that with this today. We need to take these truths that we're seeing here today and make sure we don't run past them and allow the speed of life just to take us off a road, but that we'd actually reflect on what's here. So I'm going to go through this. I'm going to explain to you what's happening, explain this text to you, but as we do, after we kind of finish each point, I want us to pause and reflect on it and make sure not we're not moving past it. Like, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that. But to really let it take heart because I, I believe that this is the stuff that is meant to help us, to give us hope and stability and security and everything. It, it, the road sign is there. The truth is there intended to get our attention to help us navigate. So this is what I want you to see today. And I, I hope that that happens as we go through it. So let's look at what happens. Let's look at the arrival of the Spirit. Now, I just set the context, right? All these people are there, thousands of people. 120 followers of Jesus are, are proclaiming the works of God and everything from Latin to Greek to Persian to little tribal languages to Egyptian. It's all coming out in all these languages. The people are hearing it. Thousands of people are, 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 are hearing this. And they're all wondering what has caused this. But then there's those side little group of people that are saying, oh, they're just drunk. They're just drunk. And which is so silly, as we talked about last week, because I've never heard of anybody who gets drunk. And when they get drunk, they can start speaking Egyptian. It makes no sense to me, right? You just, it doesn't happen. But anyways, they're just, they're just cynics. So Peter now, he sees the thousands of people. And as he's seeing all these people, he's hearing all the words, he's hearing them make the accusations that they're drunk, and he stands up and he's going to read the road sign. Let me tell you what you're seeing here. Look at verse 14. <coughs> but Peter, standing with the eleven. So Peter's there, the other apostles are with him lifted up his voice and addressed them. Now, mind you, because we know that about 3,000 got saved on this sermon. So you know you got at least 3,000 present. So you got just picturing Peter just 
yelling from this room, just shouting. Now, mind you, by the way, keep in mind who's in this crowd. Probably many, many, many of the people in this crowd were the same exact people that were yelling, crucify him to Jesus. Right? I mean, the exact people that actually were there saying, we want Barabbas. Okay? So this is that crowd. And that becomes important in the story in a minute. So Peter says, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Right? I mean, that's a, you know, everybody hear me, is what he's saying. So picture that, standing there yelling. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. First statement, we are not drunk, it is 9 o'clock in the morning. Okay, that's what he's saying. Okay. No one was drinking at 8 o'clock in the morning. Okay, first point, this is not alcohol-induced. Second thing he's going to do now, he's going to move to the Scriptures. What I find fascinating is that Peter is going to explain the work of the Spirit, the work of the Son, and the work of the Father, and in all three cases, he's going to exposit three different passages of the Bible. Two Psalms and one prophet, the book of Joel. And these three scripture verses are this, the heartbeat of his entire message. Where did he get this fun? Well, remember when we studied Luke, in Luke 24, 24, Jesus gave the disciples the understanding of the scriptures so they could see Jesus in them. So he's got this divine ability now to stand up and go right to scripture she says, we're not drunk. Let me tell you what's happening. Look at verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servant and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Fascinating passing. Joel 2, 28-32. That's what he quotes. Joel 2, 28-32. Now, you've got to see the context of Joel. Let me just set it for you here so you understand this passage. Joel's a prophet, writing to the southern kingdom. A bunch of locusts have come upon the southern kingdom. The Jews know one thing. Whenever a whole bunch of bugs manifest in your area and start eating all your food, God's mad. They know that. They have figured that one out, right? So all these bugs come upon them. Locusts are eating everything. And they're saying, what did we do, God? Prophet Joel stands up. He says, you've rejected me. This is what God's saying. He's speaking on behalf of God. God is saying to you, you've rejected me. So I've sent these locusts to eat up all your food and to bring judgment upon you. But that's not the end of the story. There's good news. The end of the story is this. In the last days, right, which is when the Messiah comes, the time of the Messiah, something's going to happen. My spirit is going to come down upon everyone. Men, women, slaves, free, everybody. The Spirit will descend upon everybody, and everybody will now be participating in this kingdom work, which we'll talk about in a minute. 
And then something will happen. Then all the natural lights will go down in the sky. The Messiah will appear. The day of the Lord will be there. And judgment will come. So if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. Now here's what Joel does. He takes what we know to be several thousand years of history, at least. And he compacts it into two, takes the two events, the coming of the Spirit and the, and, and the coming of the Messiah, compacts them together to basically say, let me tell you the order of events. Here's what's going to happen. Spirit's going to come, then Jesus is going to return. Now we know that that's not all happening on the same day. There's a long delay, right? <clears throat> but Joel compacts them because he's just trying to explain to them, here's what the future holds. Now here's the message. And then we're going to unpack this message in a minute. What he's saying is this. Peter is standing there saying, what you see going on around you is a fulfillment of this passage. Now let's look at the fulfillment. Let's look at what it is. Just look back at verse 17 for a minute. <clears throat> and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, when you read that, you think, what is he talking about? And there's lots of different teachings about this, right? Lots of different people say lots of different things about this. And some people go crazy with it and make it say, you know, crazy things. Other people say it doesn't apply. Well, what does it mean? Well, let me kind of help you understand this. I think there's a way to understand this to demystify it for you so that you won't all of a sudden start thinking either crazy things or that it doesn't mean anything. So, so what does it mean? If you think about it from a Jewish perspective, I think it makes a lot of sense. First of all, you have to realize, to the average Jew in, in, the, in the time of the Old Covenant, time of the Old Testament, we'll say, they didn't have direct access to God. If God wanted to speak to them, what would happen? A prophet would have to come. So if the people said, God, what are you doing? God would then raise up a prophet to answer them. When the people wanted to worship God, what would they do? They would bring their animal to the temple. They would give it to the priest who would then slaughter the animal, offer it as an offering to God, and then give them the meat back so they could eat it. They didn't have direct access to God. Now, when God would speak to the prophets, how would he speak to the prophets? He would speak to them using prophecy, using visions, using dreams. Those are all the ways that God communicated. At face value, I think what this text, at least at, at the simplest interpretation of it, is this. You no longer need the prophets anymore. God will speak to every one of you. The, the mediators between you and God are gone. This is now a relationship between you and God. And now everyone, men, women, children, slaves, free, whatever, whoever you are, you now have access to God. God will empower you. And as Jeremiah 31, 31 says, he'll write his law on your heart. And no longer will you need someone to teach you. You'll know. That's what he says. Here's the promise. So in this group of 120, we don't just have the 11... We've got more than the 11, the rest of the people who had followed Jesus. And we saw last week that there were even women in that group. And so now you've got women declaring the glory of God. You've got people who aren't considered the leaders of, the, of Christ's disciples declaring the glory of God, along with the 11. They're all doing it. 
Here's the hope. You place your faith in Christ. And the Spirit of God comes upon you. You have access to God. So you can be seven years old. You could be 70. You could be a man. You could be a woman. doesn't matter what nation. God's Spirit comes upon everyone. There's the hope. What you are seeing here is the prophecy given to Joel. That the prophets go away. And now you become connected to God. God speaks to you. God writes his law on your heart. God gives you the ability to understand his word. And all of the things, all of the ways, God's communication now is open to everybody. That's what he's saying. Prophets are gone now in that, in that sense. We don't need those in, intermediators anymore. But then something else is going to happen. Then he starts talking about judgment. Look at verse 19. And I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When the Spirit of God comes, he's saying, then, now it's there. It's, the Spirit is there, and, and, and people are brought into union, but then another day is going to happen. What's going to happen next is the day of the Lord will come. The Messiah will return. And we know what happens when the Messiah returns. It's pretty obvious, no question about it, because the stars go away, the sun goes away, the moon goes away. Jesus is in the sky. Everyone sees it, and judgment is now coming. So therefore, you better be ready, is what he's saying. You better be ready. I think the, the whole point of this warning is this. People, what you are seeing is Joel. And what Joel says is the Spirit of God comes. And then Joel says, you know what's going to happen next? Judgment. Don't walk away from this sign. Don't ignore it. Do not ignore this moment. Don't think, oh, wow, Joel's being fulfilled. Cool. And go on with your life. Stop and realize the Spirit is coming. And then when the Spirit is done with whatever it is the Spirit's doing, the judgment of the Messiah will come. The day of the Lord will come. You better be ready. Call upon his name and you will be saved. So here's the question. Are we going to blow past this truth? We're going to drive past it, we, okay? It's easy to go, yep, Spirit of God's coming, I got him, that's cool, that's great. All right, let's move on, next point, Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus now. But just stop and think about this. Do you realize you are connected to God? Do you realize you lack nothing? Do you realize whatever excuses that you can give for why you can't do whatever it is the Bible calls us to do doesn't really match up, you can't use it. When he pours his spirit upon his children, he gives them, Paul says this in Ephesians 1, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Every spiritual blessing. God doesn't withhold a thing from you. Have you stopped to consider that? When you walk out of this room, you do not need to walk out of this room feeling like God hasn't blessed you. Feeling like you have nothing. When he pours his spirit out, it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you can articulate in, in brilliant prose or whether or not you get tongue-tied. It doesn't matter. Because it's not you. It's the Spirit of God giving you the power to do everything. Just sail that for a minute. Don't blow past that. Don't blow past that. 
Do we take it seriously? The Spirit has connected you to God directly. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about the fact that sometimes, and I do this too, you know, something's going on in my life and I think I got to call somebody. I got to call somebody. And that's a good thing, right? There's wisdom in many counselors. But sometimes I call somebody before I recognize that I'm connected to God directly. And the very one who's the wisdom of the ages, the one who made me, the one who gifted me, the one who designed my life and has this plan for me is the one I can go to and say, God, I'm connected to you. Your spirit has given me connection. Think on that for a minute. So the first thing Peter does, the first sign he gives, he shows us what the spirit's doing. Now he's going to move to the sun. Okay? He's going to move to the sun. Why does he move to the sun? Because they got to understand how the spirit came to be into play. Why is the spirit here? So he moves to the work of the sun. And notice verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Now, before I finish reading, I want you just to pause on that word hear. We've defined this in other contexts, but I want to make sure we define it again. The word hear in this text means to listen with the intent to obey. Right? So like parents, you know, when you're talking to your kids and, you know, if you're trying to tell them, here's what I want you to do. And they're like, yeah, 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 you know, and they're kind of turning away. What do you do? You put it, you know, but we just stop. Come here. Look at my eyes. Okay. I need to know that you're paying attention because I'm not just talking here because I just think it'd be fun to just throw out a bunch of commands for you to ignore. Like, that's what I want to do today. Right. I'm not talking for that reason. I don't get up just so that I can say, clean your room, and then you don't clean your room. And I think, hey, that's so fun. I love that, right? That's a a great day, you know? How about let's do the dishes tomorrow, right? Right? So that's not it, right? As a parent, I'm saying, here, listen. Because when I tell you something, I'm trying to get you to think about it, to engage it, to apply it to all of that, right? It's all embedded as a parent. If I say, I want the house cleaned before dinner, and I give a general principle like that, I'm wanting them to go, what would I need to do to clean the house before dinner? I don't want them going, what time is dinner? Five? Okay, let's start it at 4.50, right? That's not listening with the intent to obey. That's listening with the intent to disobey, to push the line, right? The most brilliant response could be, I hope that you're taking notes here. Uh, <laughs> the most brilliant, I'm just teasing. The most brilliant response would be, What is everything I need to do to make sure that I hear the heart and obey the heart of this? That's all embedded in that word hear. That's what it means. It means to listen with the intent to obey. I wanted to make a big deal about that because this is what Peter's saying. Now, Peter's saying that, that maybe it should get our attention, right? We should go, okay, we should probably hear... There's something here we should pay attention to. So he says, men of Israel, let's put our paraphrase, listen with the intent to obey these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. What do you obey out of that? (laughs) 
you got to stop and think about that. That is about as in your face of a statement as you can make, right? Now here's what he's saying. Because they were the ones who said, crucify him, right? He's talking to the ones who did it. And now he's going to explain to them what just happened a couple months ago. A couple months ago, you guys were there going, yelling, crucify him, crucify him, and then he died. And you're thinking, okay, he died. We're glad we got Barabbas. We got rid of that rabble-rouser. Peter says two things. He says, first of all, realize this. He died because it was the plan of the Father. He didn't die because of what you said. God's plan from the very beginning was to punish him for your sins. So, so first of all, let's get this out. He would have died whether you said crucify him or not. So then what's the big deal? What is the big deal that they said crucify him? Well, the big deal is this. They were re- reflecting in their heart the contempt they had for Jesus. Their yelling crucify him was showing that they hated him, that they didn't want him, that they had rejected him. They had rejected all that he said. They rejected all of his life. And so even though Jesus was going to die no matter what, the fact that they were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, shows that they had rejected him. Now, what's the big deal about rejecting him? Why is that a big deal? Look at verse 24. And you've got to catch this little thing here in 24 so you can see the real heart of what Peter's saying. He says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So here's what he's saying. Yes, you saw him go to the grave, but God raised him from the dead. And I'm going to tell you why God raised him from the dead. He couldn't stay there. Not possible. Now for a moment, you got to catch this. You guys yelled, kill this guy. And Peter in essence is saying, do you realize who this person was who you just said crucify him to? Do you realize who he was? This was somebody who couldn't be killed. You've got to have a pretty unique nature to have the pangs of death not stick to you. There's something different. Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He couldn't be killed. God had to raise him from the dead. Now, in order to explain this, Peter goes to the scriptures. Notice what he says. He's going to go to a psalm. We'll tell you about what psalm it is in a second. <clears throat> Verse 25. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he's at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One seek corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now this is a quote from Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. It's a quote of David. David is basically saying, and the psalm is saying, I won't die. My body will never go into the grave. That's what the psalm is saying. I, I'm not gonna, I, my body won't go into the grave. Now we all know that David's body's in the grave. Peter's going to say that in a second. So how could he say this? Peter's going to explain to us something. I'll tell you what he says and then I'll read it to you. He's going to tell him, when David was writing this song, he absolutely knew that he wasn't speaking of himself. He knew that he was speaking about the one that was going to come through him. He knew 
And what he's trying to, what Peter's trying to point out is this one who you hated is God. You've rejected God. When you treat Jesus with contempt, you reject God. There's the point. You treat any part of Jesus with contempt, you reject God. If Jesus says, this is how I want you to pray, and you say no. If Jesus says, this is what I want you to do in this situation, and say, well, if you knew my situation, you would know that Jesus would really want me to do that. Whatever it is, you treat him with contempt, you reject God. This is what he's saying. Do you understand who this one is that you said crucify him to? He's God. Look at this psalm. Look at what he says. Look at how he explains it in verse 29. Brothers, I must say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and in his, and in his tomb is with us this day. Right? He's like, we can go visit his tomb. Being therefore a prophet, right? he's seeing and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. We saw him rise from the dead. We're witnesses of this. But here is the point. It isn't just that he rose. It's why he rose. He rose because his nature is divine. He cannot be overcome by death because he is life. So this one who you said crucify, this one that you showed contempt to, is God. Now let's not blow past this truth for a minute. Right? There's another sign on the road. Jesus is God. Now you can blow past, oh yeah, I know that. I'm all in. Right? But just stop and think about that for a minute. When I treat his words and his truth with contempt, when, when I can just blow past and say, well, if you knew my life or if you knew my spouse or if you knew my kids or if you knew my boss, you would know that this really wouldn't apply to me, that he really wouldn't want me to do this. Right? Because, you see, our flesh loves to come up with all the reasons why we don't have to obey Jesus, right? I don't have to work at it, right? I mean, like, it's just right there. It's right there. I mean, you know, I was thinking about it. I was making a little mental list last night in my head of all the ways my flesh does that. I'm not going to share it with this list with you, okay? But, I, but I'll share one thing off the list. I was thinking about gossip, and I was thinking about all the times when, when, when in, I was thinking just in my life, I was just going back through like the past 30 years, and I was thinking about all the statements that began this way. I don't really want to gossip, but... Right? And then, because somehow saying, I don't want to gossip, like, is like the permission to gossip, right? It's like, there's the get out of jail free. It's like crossing your fingers. I'm not really lying. My fingers were crossed, right? If, as long as I qualify this, I don't really want to gossip, but. Then, and then you realize Jesus says, man, I hate gossip. It's murder to me. It's contempt, it's evil, it's wicked. I mean, you read through the Sermon on the Mount and it's so clear that loving my brother and using my tongue to edify is the key. And yet, my flesh can figure out a way with one little statement. That little statement is, all I have to say ahead of the gossip is, I don't really want to gossip, but. And my flesh has figured out that that's it. And then, if I hear Peter right, I have to stop and say, I've just treated God with contempt. 
how could I do that? It's like, whoa, he's God. Jesus isn't just tossing out some kind of suggestions. He's God. And this one that I treat so willy-nilly that's why he keeps saying, you crucified him. You, you stood there and said, no. And he's saying, do you realize that his nature is divine? So let's not blow past that truth. Let's not blow past that truth. There's a third thing that Peter explains in this text. Explains what's going on with the Spirit. He's connected you to God. He's explained Jesus. Jesus is God. His nature, he couldn't be held in the grave. He was raised from the dead. And then he explains the plan of the Father. Verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Now here's what he's saying. When he, when he, when he was brought from the dead, he was brought up to heaven, and now he's sitting at the right hand of God, which is just a simple way of saying he has all authority. And he's going to explain that authority in a minute. He's been given the position of authority. <clears throat> and what he's done is he's taken that position of authority and he's now poured his spirit out upon us, upon the world. That's what's happening here. And he holds this position of authority. Now, he's going to explain that position of authority by another psalm. He's going to give us Psalm 110, verse 1. Highly used psalm throughout the Bible. You look it up in a concordance. It's in a lot of places. I think I counted in a concordance 25 times it was used. Could be less or more, I don't know. I might not have counted right. My eyes are getting so small. I still do this with books, you know, and I can't read the concordances sometimes. I'm trying to count it. So I think it was around 25. But notice what he says, verse 34. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So this psalm out of 110, 110.1, David is saying, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Okay, who's the Lord saying to my Lord? How can one Lord say, you know, if God is the Lord, then who is he saying this to? He's obviously not saying it about David. So he's saying Dave, David has to be talking about the Messiah, that he's going to take the Messiah put him up in this position of authority, and then allow him to rule over the world. And none of his enemies will ever be able to thwart him, is what he's saying. Anyone who's rebelled will not be able to thwart him. He is sitting on a throne, and the earth is his footstool, meaning he has total dominance over it. Total dominance. Not one enemy could ever do anything. And so he says, so therefore... Let all of you Jews know that God has made Jesus not only the Messiah, your Savior, but the Lord of the world. The one you crucified. Just make sure we know where you stand with him. You have rejected him. He means nothing to you. But he's the king. It's a powerful statement. The question is this. We don't want to drive past that sign either. This is who Jesus really is. And what I want to make sure that we recognize is that his words and his mission and his life and everything he says should mean something to us. 
Jesus does not just offer suggestions to improve our life in that regard. He's not like just like a self-help guru. You know, he's not just like a better version of some self-help deal. Hey, if your life's going bad, follow Jesus and it'll get great. That's not the key at all. It's saying, no, I will follow you even when my life stinks. I was telling Heather this week, I was reading through Acts. We were talking about it. And I said, you know, one thing that hit me, that every time persecution came upon the church, they never prayed for protection. They never said, God, protect us. You read through Acts, you'll see this. Anytime persecution came upon the church in Acts, what did they pray for? Boldness. God, they're arresting us. They're taking us to prison. Give us utterance that we might speak more. You see, Jesus, we want to follow you. See, we're not looking for you to just make life easy on us. Like, Jesus, they're persecuting us. Save us! Protect us! No, it's going to mess my, my plan. See, that's not following Jesus. That's actually not treating him as Lord. You become the Lord, and he becomes your servant with that mindset. And so the reality is, let's not blow past that. He's trying to say, guys, he is the Lord. He rules over the earth. We follow him wherever he calls, no matter the cost. He's our Lord. It's why they said, give us boldness instead of protect us from our enemies. So let's wrap it up. What do we see here? The Spirit has come, Peter says, to connect us to God. Everyone, man, woman, child, you are connected to God. You lack nothing. Think about that. You have it all. Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. Why was he raised from the dead? Because he is God. He possesses a nature that cannot be corrupted. Which means the salvation he provides is perfect. It's brilliant. Death has been conquered. There's total hope. There's nothing to worry about you can absolutely find confidence that he's in complete control. And even when all the people were yelling, crucify Jesus, God still had this whole thing under control. Think about the confidence that gives us in this crazy world we live in with problems and people and you're facing all kinds of issues. And Maybe you got older kids and you're wondering where they're at with God and you start freaking out. Did I do enough? Did I not do enough? What do we need to do? Who needs it? And you can stop and say, wait a minute. God never stops being God. God is always at work even when everybody rebels. He's in charge of salvation. Praise God. Find comfort. He's in control. And the one who saved us is God himself. There's hope. There's security there. And the plan of the Father was to take the Son and make him ruler over the world so that we could follow him. We don't need to reject him. Now, if you blow past those signs, let me give you three possible negative consequences three possible negative consequences could be more one possible negative consequence is that you'll actually deny the power that you have scripture sometimes i think calls that resisting the spirit you end up saying ah, i don't have anything and you start getting and what happens is you start serving your insecurities you don't serve jesus you serve your insecurities your insecurities start to control you you're no longer saying, I want to be under the control of the power of the Spirit of God and walk as a Spirit-filled Christian, you say, I want to walk under the, the control of my insecurities. And I want them to control me so that everything I do in life 
is governed by everything I'm afraid of. And every worry and fear and angst and nervous twitch and habit controls us. And Joel, the prophecy of Joel was God's spirit was going to come upon his children and they were going to be connected to God and no longer would they need anything else. God would be empowering them. That's why Paul can say with confidence in Ephesians 1, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you blow past that sign, though, you will be under the control of every insecurity that owns you. Don't blow past it. But then if you blow past the second sign, that Jesus did die, he did rise from the dead, but if you kind of look at it and say, whatever, yeah, Jesus, I believe in him, you know what tends to happen in that situation? When you blow past who Jesus really is and why, he, why God raised him from the dead and all of that, I think the, the consequence there is that you can start getting comfortable in your sin. You can start stopping and thinking about the cross and you can take the Lord's table and just take it as a ceremony of the church. And it just means nothing to you. Jesus means nothing to you. And it'd be easy to be like those people saying, crucify him. You don't really mean anything to me anymore. I'm comfortable in my sin. I don't need you. I don't need the salvation you offer me. I've gotten comfortable. And then I think what happens from there is you'll blow past the third sign. And the third sign is Jesus is Lord. And you'll say, I don't care. And then rebellion kicks in. And rebellion kicks in big time. So what we, we don't want to blow past those signs and be controlled by our insecurities and then, and then become comfortable in our sin and then start becoming rebellious towards God. We want to pay attention to what's here. And as we're going to see next week, the response is an all-in for Jesus. It's an all-in. And so Lord willing, next week, that's what we will look at. So let's pray together now. Join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for the great truth that's here. The Spirit has come to connect us to the Father, to you. And that you raised Jesus from the dead because you couldn't keep him down. The one who saved us is divine nature. Let's not treat him with contempt. And you established him as Lord over the earth. God, may we find our security in your spirit. May we treat Jesus with the awe and respect he deserves and follow him through the way of life. Thank you for this passage, Lord. Allow us to just let it take root in our heart. Help us not to drive past those signs fast, but to pause and reflect. Thank you for the privilege we have of being in your word today. In Christ's name, amen.